Welcome to the Today's Market Explained podcast, hosted by Brian Castle. Brian has been a financial advisor for over 35 years and is the founder of Four Star Wealth in Chicago. He will be sharing the most important investment opportunities out there in ways that are easy to understand and hopefully even easier for you to benefit from. Brian will also be interviewing subject matter experts who can give insights into new and exciting investment opportunities. To see all the best video highlights from every episode, please follow at Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. Now, on to the episode. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to the Today's Market Explained, a four-star podcast. I'm uh, your host, Brian Castle, and I'm here with my uh, regular co-host back from leave, uh, Mr. Chris Reardon. Chris, welcome to the podcast today. Today's Market Explained. Thanks, Brian. Good afternoon, everyone, and uh, glad to be back. Good to have you back. Chris and his wife gave birth to two uh, twin sons. And uh, are you getting any sleep, Chris? I'm not getting any sleep. I'm team no sleep uh, right now. So it's uh, probably got another month of that, but uh, it's all good. Okay. Well, we got a sleepy Chris Reardon back to join us. And uh, boy, uh, uh, you uh, left uh, at a wild time in the markets, Chris, <laughs> where we ended up hitting the bottom in the end of September. So uh, uh, if you would, uh, why don't you uh, give us an update on where we stand in the markets today, and then we'll go through the economy and we'll go through what we see out there and other interesting tidbits about what's going on in the world of the economy and finance. So go ahead with the market, Chris. Yep. Uh, so uh, since the last podcast, we had commodities uh, retake the number one position. Mm-hmm. Uh, last one, cash was in one for a brief period of time, but commodities retook it. Uh, it's at 256 tally points and it's gained 15 uh, points since the last podcast. So a lot of that's due to oil, which has had some significant movements in the last week or two. Uh, but that overtook number one. Cash is in the number two at 245. It's gained three. So that that swap is mostly due to that surge um, in oil and commodities um, and cash faltering. Uh, domestic equities is in the third position. Uh, it's at 186 and it lost two points uh, from the last podcast. So still holding relatively strong, but it's um, just slowly deteriorating. Fixed income in the fourth position. It's at 152. Minus 10 points from the last podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, international equities in the fifth position at 129 plus one from last podcast. And then currencies is still in the last at 118. And it's minus two points from the last podcast. So um, the big story really is I commodities overtaking one again. Uh, and then fixed income. Fixed income um, has gotten beat, beaten up a little bit. I think a lot of that's with the Fed's expectations of rate rises, things like that coming down the pipeline. Yeah, so it's interesting, Chris. So commodities were the strongest uh, all throughout much of the first half, but then it faded in the summer to the point that it fell out of the top rank uh, in September and then just came roaring right back. Yep. Yeah, I mean, we saw a little bit of a lull there. Um, You know, you could even attribute to a lot of people saw at the pump. Oil prices came down a little bit. I think a lot of it was due to fear of recession. Um, That was kind of the, the, the motif going on in the market. And so you saw a lot of slump in commodities as people feared that there's going to be a lot of slowdown. There wasn't going to be as much building, traveling, things like that. Um, and then what reinvigorated it really was uh, the OPEC plus cut um, that came out. And so we've kind of seen a recent spike again with uh, with commodities. Yeah. So so our dynamic portfolio, which normally has two asset classes, and number one ranked was commodities. 
Uh, and number two ranked was cash. So we were out of U.S. equities. Um, then commodities were fading. So we were limiting our positions as they were hitting stops. But now we've been adding more commodities back uh, in agriculture and oil. And uh, we've added some precious metals, which have not been doing well most of the year, but are seemingly acting better now. So uh, that's kind of the current trend as we see it. So we'll see, Chris, of course, so we've talked about this before. If commodities are in the top rank for a long period of time, it's usually not a good thing long-term for the economy, but um, we can make a lot of money in commodity-related investments in the market. Stock markets are crashing. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it tends to be a drag on the global economy, right? It's just more expensive to build, to transport, to, to do business, really. Um, but, you know, in the short term, uh, obviously, we can make the plan out, which is benefits us, and, um, you know, we'll just have to see. Yeah. So as we're doing this today on the 14th of October, um, we had a serious sell-off in September. September, um, by way just of review, is usually the worst month of the year for the stock market. Not every September, but on average, all Septembers altogether uh, versus all uh, other months together. September's the worst month. And that this September held true up about down about seven, eight percent, depending on what index that you follow just for the month. Uh, then, of course, uh, we got, you know, once we hit the bottom, then you can expect a, a rally. Uh, we got our signals to re-engage our maximum cash position to protect. And, of course, then we get a rally. So then the market went up. There was a short covering rally for two days, up almost 6% in two days. Right, Chris? Very powerful, yep. very powerful rally. Um, and then, uh, then, of course, we've given back most of that last week and then this week. A couple of the indexes are already down for the week, and one index, the Dow, is still up on the week, but uh, not been a great week either. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's been volatile. I mean, I think that's we've talked a lot about the volatility, and I mean, like you said, Brian, six percent up days over a you know, two day period, followed by heavy down days. I mean, it's it's this is very characteristic of a bear market. Uh, just and a lot of volatility uh, is really in the market right now. Yeah. And like I mentioned, we did get our signals to finally go to a maximum cash position. So we have four portfolios that do rotation like that. And each one of them had uh, had added some risk positions in in August and, and early September. But then the negative uh, signals came back and we're back to a maximum uh, cash level. And, you know, the bias for the market is is negative at this point. Um, we're going to have rallies, as you have pointed out, Chris, there's always huge rallies in, in bear markets, like a 6% move in two days or other rallies similarly. Um, and not much is going to change, we think, unless we get a pivot from the Fed and easing. And they don't think they can do that until they've slayed inflation. So they're aggressively increasing interest rates. Sounds like they're planning to do 75 basis points again in November. Um, and uh, we'll see how that plays out. But uh, we also have not seen the other thing that could help this market a lot would be if we finally saw the downward earnings revisions, because there will be downward earnings revisions coming, but we haven't heard them. But that that could be months away before we finally get what is the real impact of all these things to the earnings of companies. It'll be negative. question is how negative and when do we get those revisions? We haven't seen them. So it's a really uh, strange, strange time, Chris, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, we're just starting to, I think, kind of, you have a lot of CEOs now that are finally acknowledging um, almost 100% of the major CEOs that we're going to probably be heading into a recession or at least a downturn period. 
the very least. Um, and I think that, you know, as far as earnings and overall economic data, it, it tends to trail by at least three months. Uh, and so we're just starting to kind of get into some of the, I'm going to say damage, but some of the impact uh, that the rate rise is having and, and the overall economic environment we're in. So, you know, once mm -hmm. we get to Q1 2023 and Q2, uh, I think we're going to start to see, like you said, Brian, earnings start to get revised down um, and people kind of start planning for a uh, higher interest rate future, at least in the short term. Yeah. Well, and so while we're in an environment like this, the market is subject to all these kind of wild swings and, and rumors and things. So at the end of September 30th, when the market hit its uh, recent low, uh, then we had that short, short covering rally on Monday and Tuesday of 6%. That was predicated by a rumor that the Fed was having an emergency meeting over the weekend or Monday. So the information wasn't real clear. But then everyone uh, who was a buyer decided that was enough information to say maybe the Fed is going to do something different than they're doing. They're going to change and pivot toward easing. So that excited the market. And that was part of why there was a short covering rally. But then it came out that the Fed had to operate under an emergency provision for another meeting that they were calling that wasn't a regularly scheduled meeting, but it didn't have anything to do with the interest rates. So that turns out to be a false rumor but the market rallied 6% on a false rumor. So these are the kind of things that happen in bear markets when we're not sure about the economy, we're not sure about earnings, but yet we get a false rumor and everyone, everyone reacts. Uh, so information really matters a lot. Um, we have seen some very severe things happening also in this economy uh, since the Fed is increasing interest rates very sharply, as sharp as they did in the 1970s. They're getting a lot of grief about uh, what it's what it's causing to economies around the world because other economies around the world are under even more pressure than ours. So then, of course, our Fed is being blamed, and other economies are raising their interest rates as well. So the Bank of England had a currency crisis because they were also raising interest rates, but then the interest rate increases caused a liquidity crisis in the Bank of England. So while they were raising interest rates, they were also then doing quantitative easing out the back door uh, to try to keep some banks afloat. And uh, then the Bank of England had to uh, change their whole process. And it just turns out, as of yesterday, uh, the financial leader of England was dismissed by the new prime minister uh, because uh, they weren't, they weren't uh, in sync on, on everything. And a big part of it was that liquidity crisis. Then, Chris... Uh, we also heard rumors that Credit Suisse in Switzerland was going to fail. And they said, oh, no, <clears throat> no, no problem here. Nothing to see here. Move along. We have plenty of liquidity. And then the crisis seemed to go away. But then checking the Fed record of, of cash movements, a number of analysts found that there was, what, $3 billion, Chris, that went mm -hmm. to the Swiss bank. So why would $3 billion go to a Swiss <laughs> bank in an emergency session? So maybe that money did go to Credit Suisse, right? And slipped it under the table, right? Fed just kind of right. don't look here, slip it under the table, all's good. Nothing to see here. Credit Suisse is fine, but yet there was three billion that went under the table uh, to the Swiss government. So we kind of think that was probably what it was all about. Anyway, um, so those are the kind of crazy things that have been going on that are affecting the trading in this market because all these rumors are all we know because we don't know the final impact of the downturn in the economy. So the market is on loggerheads right now trying to figure out the bias is definitely downward, but we could bottom at any time, depending on different types of news. 
So Chris, tell us about the economy. You've got all the numbers now, CPI, core, social security, all the, all the great numbers that we'll look at and discuss. Yeah, I think the, the biggest number that came out and it came out uh, recently was the CPI number. It came in at 8.2%, which was above expectations of, it was about high 7% was the expectation. And um, this was the September read. Uh, that's slightly lower than the August read of 8.3%, but still very high. Uh, so we, we are seeing that slow, but it's it's still, it's not slowing quickly. Um, the core CPI, which excludes energy and food, which tend to be more volatile, uh, that came in at 6.6% uh, in September, and that was actually up from 6.3% in August. So in the core CPI number, we're seeing, continue to see acceleration. And I think that's key. I mean, that shows that you know, energy, I think everyone knows, everyone who's gotten to the gas pump knows, tends to be volatile. We've seen it go up. We've seen it come back down a little bit. Um, but the fact that the core CPI is still remaining high and it is still growing, um, I think is a very big concern and does show that the breadth of this inflation is, is across the entire economy. It's not just oil. It's not just um, uh, food. It, it's everywhere. Um, household spending rose by 0.4% in August, a month over month. Uh, so that's a positive number. We still have, Americans are still out. They're still spending, which is positive. Uh, once you factor in inflation, uh, it's only a 0.1% increase, but um, still positive. I think Americans are still spending. They're still traveling. Uh, that has not slowed yet. Uh, but with inflation and then that, that grind that's going to keep happening, we would expect that to start to slow down. Uh, but that could defy expectations there. Um, Social security checks, this is very interesting. Uh, they will grow by 8.7% in 2023, which is the largest cost of living adjustment um, to social security in four decades. So um, a lot of people that were on social security were complaining, especially with uh, inflation clipping at you know 8%, um, that they weren't able to make ends meet or were struggling. So they did a very large cost of living adjustment. And, and that's important because once they, they add that in and factor that in, uh, that doesn't get factored back out. So um, that's just going to be an adjustment going forward for, for everyone. So that'll be really interesting to see the impact that could have down the line. I think everyone knows Social Security um, is really a str struggle, especially long term for the American, a drag on the American economy. So um, that could have large ramifications down the line. Further our debt and everything else, right? Exactly. Further the debt. And I mean, you know, is that going to speed up the depletion of it? There's a lot of scenarios around it that, that could happen. Um, the average 30-year fixed mortgage rate uh, hit 6.92%, which is pretty crazy. Um, most lenders, so obviously that's the middle ground, you know, 50% of the country is getting um, rates well over 7%. So a big jump there. And to put it into perspective, a year ago today, the average rate was 3.05%. Uh, so almost more than doubles, double yeah. interest rate in a year. So a big number there. Um, and then the last thing I'll note, um, average hourly earnings rose 5% in September year over year. Uh, that was below the 5.2% number in August. So we are starting to see a slowing in earnings. And I think what's really important to, to back out of there is uh, if inflation's clipping at 8.2% and average hourly earnings or raises essentially are at 5%, uh, net net that, that employee is losing out on 3.2%. Uh, so they're getting a, a, um, a demotion essentially of 3.2%. 
uh, while that inflation remains high. So that's important that their spending power is going down. Um, and that's why a lot of people are predicting a recession or a slowdown of spending. And, and uh, you know, like Brian said, uh, potential uh, revision of um, earnings down the line, things like that. Company earnings, yes. Um, well, great. Well, thanks, Chris, for that rundown. So the CPI number, um, you know, the administration had been saying that, you know, inflation was easing and gas prices were going down. But as you pointed out, that the food prices are still going up, the core inflation, right? Yep. Yeah, I think um, I think uh, the grocery store inflation was, I think, year over year, about 13 percent. Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly, it was ballpark there. So that's that's pretty high. That, that really eats into spending. Really unbelievable. And of course, this is we'll talk a little bit more about the election season in a in a, in a minute on the on this episode. But uh, the administration was hoping for a better number in inflation in in October, and then that's the last name number that'll come out before the election. Turns out it didn't go in their favor. It, went, it got worse. So inflation is a tough beast to slay as they saw in the 70s, and it's proving to be a tough beast to slay here. They've been raising interest rates aggressively now since June, and they still haven't been able to see it come down. Yep. And I think it's important to note, and not to be uh, political or anything, but there are a lot of um, systematic things that are causing that inflation to be higher as well. You know, when you want to push up wages, um, things like that. I mean, it's that's very sounds very good and sounds rosy, but all that's really doing is forcing more money into the economy. Um, you know, giving checks. There's a lot that plays into that inflation number that I think could keep it elevated at least in a very short to near term. Right, and and talking about the jobs numbers. So the jobs number see came out of seasonally adjusted two hundred sixty three thousand, which was less than August of three hundred and fifteen, but still a positive number. So again, if in most recessions we see uh, negative hiring, we see job losses. So we're still not seeing job losses, but the trend, uh, the number 263 was 13, was a certain percentage below August and 30% below the moving average trend. So um, that trend is now going in the negative direction. Some COVID rehiring was there. Some U3 unemployment rate fell to 3.5% from 3.7, but a big part of that had to do with the labor force participation rate being down 87,000 people. 87,000 people in this survey over the previous survey said, we're not looking for work anymore. And that's when people get discouraged. So that is actually part of the survey where they have a whole series of sampling of people that they ask, are you looking for work or are you not? And if you are, do you have a job? You know, that it's that simple. And uh, so now we're down to 62.3% labor force participation rate, not the all-time low. The all-time low was, of course, the couple of months in the pandemic, but it's near um, near like the normalized level of low. So the, the, the labor force participation rate is a big issue. Uh, the markets are lower. Uh, the Fed uh, has to justify keep raising, raising rates to avoid, um, you know, this inflation. It's now starting to affect the job market. Uh, we're falling into a recession. We're in a recession now. And the, some, some think that the Fed pushed too hard. Uh, there, there was that rumor, of course. And so the market was excited and the market rallied big. But then it became a false rumor. There was excite, you know, some excitement that the Fed was going to stop raising rates or being what would be, you would say, it was being hawkish. So uh, the Fed has still maintained its hawkish, hawkish position, 
So in the last two weeks since that rally, we've seen most of that rally go away. And now the markets are going back down. So um, the job openings posted the largest decline since uh, the early months in the COVID as well. Uh, layoffs rose slightly, as we talked about. And there used to be 11 million jobs opening, but now employees are pulling back. So a lot of those openings are gone. They were never filled and they're gone. And there's just remaining 8 million openings. But a lot of the job openings are a mismatch between skills. Like there are jobs open that we don't have the right people to fill them. So it's really an interesting, interesting time. Uh, There's been talk also about this concept called the great resignation. And I've seen a number of articles about it, Chris. And if you remember the, um, you know, there were people saying, you know, I just don't want to work that hard anymore and I'm going to work, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to let my employer work, know that I'm not working that hard. I'm just going to sit on my desk and not work hard. Well, you know, that I don't know why they would write articles about things like that, because if you if you're unproductive, eventually your your boss isn't isn't as stupid as you might think. And they're going to they're going to find out that you're not working <laughs> and then you're going to get laid off or you're going to get fired because you're not doing your job. So the great resignation was just, I think, a whole lot of talk and is not a real thing. Um, but, Chris, you, you were uh, you were looking at the international economics numbers as well. So why don't we, why don't we pivot to that? Huh? Yep. Yeah. So pivoting over to kind of the Eurozone, uh, German industrial production came in and it slowed 0.8% in August from July. Uh, So it's starting to slow pretty heavily. It's almost uh, 1% there month over month. And it's down 2.9% since February. So Germany is really the industrial powerhouse of the Eurozone. And so if that's slowing here under 3%, you know, from February, that, that's a that's a big deal. Uh, most of that's due to gas prices and uh, war in Ukraine that just is really eating into the country's manufacturing. Um, the Eurozone's inflation number for September came in at 10%, which was the highest inflation rate since records began on the Eurozone, and that was in 1997. So um, as bad as we have it, um, like Brian kind of alluded to in the beginning, the world itself is also in a, a whole lot of pain, in some cases worse, worse off than we are. Um, China's service sector economic activity fell to 48.9 in September from 51.9 in August. So we're seeing a huge slowdown in the Chinese uh, service sector. Um, that dragged the broader kind of non-manufacturing manufacturing purchasing managers index, um, which is more of a broad um, thermostat really on their, their um, industrial market, the 50.6 in September from 52.6 in August. So um, that's still expanding. Anything over 50 is expanding, uh, but a major slowdown there, uh, two, oh, two point slowdown. Uh, and I think more importantly, sales at the country, at, in the Chinese countries, 100 largest property developers fell 25.4% in September uh, 2022 from September 2021 or year over year. So a huge drop off um, in the purchasing of um, properties in China. Uh, and so, you know, the, the whole world itself, I think, is really starting to see a slowdown, in many cases, significantly worse than we're seeing in the U.S. here. Mm-hmm. You know, and also, Chris, there's been talk of this Chinese mortgage revolt, where they've documented, I think, some number of hundreds of thousands of people, 300,000, are not paying their mortgage. Now, if you consider the way a country like China is run with the Communist Party in charge of everything, if you're not going to pay your mortgage, uh, that would be something that would be considered to be very, very negative. So considering all that negativity and the things that 
they had, tend to have less civil rights in a country like China, that they would risk all of that and not pay their mortgage. It must be pretty bad. So like Chris was saying, sales at the largest developers are down 25. And now people feel like they bought a property that might not even be delivered. Some of the people are paying mortgages on properties that they have, don't even have yet because they were required to do it. Now they're deciding not to pay that mortgage. And so there's a big mortgage revolt going on in the Chinese economy. We'll see how, how bad that gets. So while things may be rough in America, the Chinese economy is also slowing down and the, the worldwide economies are slowing down. And a lot of it has kind of a COVID hangover sense. And then all this, all the outrageous spending that's been done worldwide was too much. And now we're coming down from that. Uh, so um, very strange time. And we're talking about uh, also gas prices are going back up. Oil prices are going back up. And OPEC and OPEC plus um, was appealed to by our president uh, to get more um, uh, oil and pump more oil. Our president's also been talking to the Venezuelans about getting oil um, instead of drilling in America. So there's a whole issue there, whether we should be doing that in America. Uh, CEO J Jamie Dimon of, uh, of JP Morgan Chase said that we have energy all wrong and we're not, we should be drilling for oil. We should be using our fossil fuels in America and not hamstringing ourselves. Uh, we are now in a, in a situation where many people in Europe are going to be without energy this, this winter. Uh, the, the UK government, I was in Portugal recently watching Sky News and the reports locally. Many people are going to be living in, in shelters in the evening because they won't have enough money for energy because energy prices have skyrocketed. Uh, 24 million households are expected to be subsidized with energy costs uh, throughout this winter. So obviously um, they've made some mistakes as far as their own energy supplies. And we've done some of them, although it's not impacted us as much in America, but it's still not good. So after our president made an appeal, uh, OPEC was uh, not only not going to uh, offer more energy, they were going to decrease their output to raise prices. And we're weakened in that sense because we let ourselves be weakened. So apparently, they were going to decrease their production by 1 million barrels a day. But after our, uh, our president appealed, they went to 2 million a day. So they basically, we basically failed at that badly. So that might show you that America's in somewhat of a weakened position because of energy and it's certainly self-inflicted. So um, that, that's what we see out there, Chris, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that um, it puts us in a very weakened position. I mean, I think, um, you know, it puts us in a place where we have to, um, placate, you know, these dictatorships in some cases, um, you know, in, in the Middle East. And I think, you know, OPEC plus, for those of you guys, if you remember, the plus stands for Russia, you know, so Russia actually had a say in that as well. So, you know, we're, we're really giving over power to countries that are, you know, in some cases, warmongering, that are making um, huge uh, plays at territorial gains. So, um, you know, I think, you could even make the case it's a case of uh, national security uh, to be more pro uh, oil and drilling right now for the U.S. Because if we're not, uh, things could right now, like you said, Brian, they're not too bad, but they could get worse down the line for sure. Sure. Well, and, uh, you know, because of our restriction on energy across the board, we're seeing prices rise in, in food and all different commodities. So energy flows through to the whole economy. 
Um, 40% of the cost of fertilizer is based on the natural gas prices. So natural gas supplies are restricted. So there's so many aspects of it that we could get into. But the bottom line is energy costs have to come down, which means supply has to go up. And hopefully um, we can have some control over that supply instead of calling countries that don't like us and asking them for more oil because they don't like us and they don't want to help us. Uh, OPEC already showed us that. So um, anyway, uh, we'll see what happens to the economy. In the meantime, the bias to the markets has to be said to be down here, but it could bottom before anyone knows it. So we're always at the ready, ready to get back in when things are better. And uh, we think now is a time of protection. So if you haven't protected your portfolio up till now, it could get worse. So even if you haven't done anything till now, you could still do something now to protect what's done is done. But for the future, you want to make sure that you don't lose a lot of money in this market. Uh, the bond market has been worse than the stock market, actually, in some cases, being the bond market being down 15 to 20 percent. So we've seldom seen a market where both the bond market and the stock market are correct, correcting together, meaning going down. Usually bonds will go up as an anti, as the opposite reaction when stocks go down. That's not happening this year. So the only thing that was working really was commodities. So we're in commodities uh, in the dynamic account, and we just added some positions, and we'll see how that plays out. We watch it very close. Uh, the four-star uh, investment team will meet again on Monday morning and review all our charts and see what's working, and we're going to own what's working. We're going to avoid what's not working, and we're going to be very defensive right now, and that's our posture today. So, Chris, there's some other interesting tidbits out there in the world of finance and the economy, uh, what we see out there. What do you got for me today? So um, interestingly, we talked about the saga of Elon Musk and this purchase of Twitter. So for those of you out there didn't know, uh, he tried to back out and uh, Twitter sued him. So court proceedings started uh, kind of earlier this month. And um, kind of during that, I don't know what the memo was, but uh, Elon decided now he wanted to go through with the purchase. So he asked to push the court proceedings off and the judge allowed it uh, um, if he could get a um, agreement to with the purchase by uh, the end of October. So um, well, that's interesting. We're starting to see that. So we may now possibly have a Twitter owned by Elon, which didn't look very realistic a month ago. Okay. Uh, We're back to that. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, on, the, on the energy note, I thought this was very interesting. A deal by Brookfield Renewable Partners and Camco Corp, uh, nuclear services firm Westinghouse Electric, um, is, is positive. I think um, one of these the aspects of renewables that gets highly overlooked is nuclear energy. It's one of the few energy sources that is actually reliable. You don't need the wind or solar. You don't need the sun to be shining. It's constantly reliable and, and like coal, it can it can provide steady energy. So uh, I think that's positive that we, we could see a place for nuclear energy in the future. Um, I like to see steps in that. So that, that's a positive move there. And then uh, lastly, uh, U.S. grocery giant Kroger uh, is now in talks to merge with uh, smaller rival Albertson. So we're starting to see uh, some consolidation in the uh, supermarket chain. Interesting. Uh, yeah. And uh you know, obviously, the, they work on very tight margins in that business, so I'm sure that's what's driving that. And, of course, with the inflation and all the cost uh, craziness, uh, I'm sure that kind of led to that at some level. Yep, I would agree. Yeah, I think, um, you know, obviously, the, the bigger they get, the more they can absorb that inflationary pressure. Yeah. 
Uh, all right. Well, thanks, Chris. Update on uh, ESG. Uh, 19 attorneys general have now sued BlackRock CEO Larry Fink and BlackRock Investing Company for pushing ESG over profits. Uh, even uh, former Whole Foods CEO John Mackey is now a strong voice, voice for the pushback of ESG. Companies need to create value and not be mandated to push for social goals. Um, and so just an, you know, an attempt um, by using ESG to control companies uh, is now a, a bunch of backlash. So um, that's interesting to, as a development because ESG, you know, obviously was like a theme of uh, special governance uh, that uh, now people are recoiling from because it's hurting company earnings. Um, there's another concept that's been pushed, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and many companies have that as well. Now, uh, there's also folks that are pushing back on that. Um, everyone uh, believes diversity is a good thing, uh, but diversity, equity, and inclusion as like a mandated program with consultants. There's literally thousands of consultants now that will come into your company and tell you all these great things you need to do to diversify your company. Um, companies can do that without having uh, hiring a big consultant, obviously, and that would probably be a good thing to do. So living diversity is a good thing uh, and providing an equitable environment for people, not necessarily economic equity, because that is determined by the market. Uh, but having diversity uh, is a good thing. Uh, but the, the concept of DE&I is now being pushed back because people are using it now for other political goals and trying to uh, get the corporate world into politics, which is probably not a good idea. Uh, so anyway, that those are big changes, Chris, that we're seeing out there. Um, <clears throat> I did want to make some comment. This is the last month now before the election, and we don't talk a lot about politics on the Four Star podcast, but we're going to talk today just a little bit about it. Um, when we left uh, the previous administration, uh, we were down to 1.7% inflation, and the economy was having some of the best growth years that it had, had in a long time. Employment was very strong. And now if you look at all those metrics, they've all gone completely the opposite direction. So much of that change can be attributed to government policy. So, you know, we can talk about things going on in the economy, in the world, technology and changes, but government can have a big effect on the economy. The polls are showing now that the public is furious about things that are going on in the economy, like lawlessness in the cities, uh, the open borders, the fentanyl epidemic is, is fielding um, you know, all kinds of problems and issues. And all those decisions were are political decisions, but now it's affecting uh, the economics. Uh, we did cut back on on our drilling, and we did change as a country under the new administration, our view on energy completely and entirely compared to the previous administration. And now look at what's happening uh, with the, the widely believed to be causing uh, a lot of these uh, inflationary numbers, uh, widely believed to be caused by politics. So our current president's poll numbers are very, very low in the mid thirties. And you know while they try to spew uh, interesting comments about, you know, oh, the economy is getting better. Uh, one month, a couple months ago, the president said there's zero inflation. It was month over month, but there was still 8% inflation. So it was really high inflation, but they're trying to spin it and trying to make it positive. And we have an election coming up next month. 
So we'll see. Many, many people um, are blaming the current president for all the economic problems, and that's you know showing in his poll numbers. Uh, Chris, you and I have realized for years that split government is better for markets than all one-sided, all Republican or all Democrat, right? Yeah, I think uh, statistically and historically, the markets tend to do a lot better during uh, split governments because you know the, the government has to come to some moderate, <laughs> moderate compromise instead of pushing to extremes. Uh, and yeah, just things tend to get not as much tends to get done, and, and things tend to not be as extreme during a uh, split government. So you know, what whatever political side you're on, I think um, if we get a split government outside of um, you know the elections coming up. I think overall, on the economic side, it would be a positive from a historical perspective. Right. So um, we're certainly looking and certainly looking as if the House and maybe the Senate will flip to the other party and then the president will be in the other party. So then we'll have split government again. So maybe that'd be better coming up in the next two years if we have split government. So we'll see how that goes. Mm-hmm. All right. So politics does affect economics quite a bit. And that's, you know, that's what we're seeing here in, in the short run. And we'll see what the voters think about that. There was talk of a red wave. And then there was a talk that the red wave wouldn't happen and the blue blue wave would, would stay. And now there's talk again of a red wave. We have three and a half weeks to the election. And basically anything can happen uh, in the last couple of weeks before an election, as everybody knows. So um, we will know more about that probably on our next podcast uh, episode, Chris, when we talk all about that and what happened in the election and now what we're going to see. Um, just to reference everybody, so the, the four-star Today's Market Explained podcast is tied to the Leadership Matrix, uh, which is one of the blogs on the four-star website. There's some other blogs on there as well. The, the um, Collar Stocks blog, uh, the Optimized Investor blog, uh, and the Essential Income blog. So there's a lot of interesting comments and, and, and uh, articles in there. We put out an article about how certain governments are setting wages and they're doing that just by government action instead of letting the market decide it. So if the government sets wages, then the government's kind of making a a decision about what's important. And they're basically pushing the hand on the scale to make sure that people in certain jobs get certain wages. And that could be certainly a noble goal. It certainly um, changes the whole supply demand equation of a market. So there are negative implications to government increases in wages. Certainly it's positive for the people that get those wages, but there's other negative implications for it as well. So wages set by the market uh, would allocate uh, resources better, uh, but maybe sometimes it doesn't allocate it the way the general public wants it. So big, big discussion on are wages set by the government or set by the market? And there's pros and cons to both. We put an article about that. Also, we talked about the riot of uh, the cost of groceries. Our inflation is all the rage series. I believe it's number seven. Mm-hmm. So we talk all about the issues around why grocery prices are high uh, and why they've been going higher. And, you know, bacon is up 13% and all these other food stops are, are up a lot in the last year. A lot of it has to do with energy. So we have an article in there about the rising cost of groceries. Um, also, um, in this uh, podcast, a previous episode, uh, that just came out. We had Barbara Morrison, who's an SBA lender on the West Coast, and very interesting lady talking about how SBA lending can be done for corporate lending for big commercial real estate lending. Many people know SBA lending uh, is really um, 
at the lower level up to maybe $5 million for some companies, but they haven't increased that. But certain, certain lending is much higher, uh, can be 25 to 30 million depending on the property. So um, anyway, we have a podcast interview with Barbara Morrison talking about SBA lending for all, all you business people out there as well. And I think that's all we have uh, today, uh, Chris. Um, Thank you, Okay. Well, let's all hope Chris gets a little more sleep, and uh, and let's uh, we'll we'll be back with our next podcast episode here in a couple of weeks. Thanks, everybody. Uh, feel free to call us if you have any questions about your portfolio and the economy and the markets. We're happy to tell you what, where we are. We gave you a good good read on that here in the podcast today, and we'll be back with more information and an update in a couple of weeks. Um, thanks, everybody, uh, for being with us, Chris. Right. Yes. Thanks, everyone, and uh, make it a great weekend. Okay. Thanks, everybody. We'll be back with the next podcast episode. Take care. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, the best way you can support us is to leave a five-star review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And if you heard something here that someone else you know will find value from, please share the episode directly with them. Want us to answer your investing question directly on the next episode? Go to todaysmarketexplained.com, scroll all the way to the bottom, and submit your question. Please follow at Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube to see the best moment video clips from every episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, and keep on growing out there, everyone.